So I would never say, let's just kill all the all the parties, let's stop them because they don't make sense. I really think you have to look into your business, look at who your target audience is. I know people are itching to go back to parties. I've seen it. We've tried it with a few clients. They want to be out, but it depends on that target market. The target market, my target market of clientele want to be out. They want to be out with their friends. They want to be shopping. They want to have a good time. And now more than ever, I mean, I spoke to the Facebook team last week and they said, get ready for 2021. Everybody's itching to come back and we will have party after party after party. So I think it really depends on who that demographic is. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Experiential retail has always been a passion point of mine. I've always been so fascinated by the way brands design their experiences to combine the best of technology, the human touch, sights, sounds, even tastes. And while we've seen some fantastic use cases for technology in the store, I think Make Your Life Sweeter is a great example of a brand that stays pretty simple, but elevates elements such as the sights, the sounds, and the tastes. I had the chance to chat with Yasmin Tadia, who is the founder of Make Your Life Sweeter and has such a deep history in the event space and the Instagrammable moments world. And we've been hearing a lot about Instagrammable moments, but that whole conversation has died down a bit in the wake of COVID. I think if anything, my conversation with Gasmine proves that there is very much a space for these immersive Instagrammable experiences and that we just have to think about them through a different lens. So as you start to think about what the future of your store will look like, all of the different elements, all of the narrative or storytelling components, I think Yasmin's story paints a great picture of what the possibilities are. Yasmin, so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited about this. Yeah, me too. We have a lot to dig into. But first, let's start at the high level. Why don't you share a little bit about you and most of all, make your life sweeter? I was in corporate America for 10 years. So I actually was the corporate director of HR for the largest hotel company in New York. And I loved my job. I literally loved everything about HR. I was the girl that went to every HR conference, loved everything about HR and management. And when I was in my career and growing in my career, I actually got married and then got divorced and then became a single mom. My son is now 11, but at that time he was six months old. So I got divorced when my son was six months old and everybody kind of had no idea. I actually got divorced, got divorced during my lunch break and went straight back to work and lived kind of my own life with my son. And nobody really knew that I had this side of me, just kind of did the best that I ever could. And three years in, when he was three years old, I realized that it was just not the right lifestyle for me. So I actually invented this little cotton candy on a stick called Fluff Pop. And I had this idea that, you know what, I'm going to see how far this endeavor goes. So I quit my job, quit corporate America and created this little cotton candy on a stick called Fluff Pop that actually is a six calories, gluten-free and vegan. And my employees would be called DJs. They spin candy instead of music. And that's really what took us off. I said, I'm putting three months of my life into this. We'll see what happens. And 
three weeks in, we got featured by by Glamour Magazine and, and the rest is history. That's great. So exciting. So I know from your background that you've helped companies like Forbes, Facebook, Laura Mercier on, on parties and events. And we're going to get deep into experiential and events and how that kind of powers retail today and in the future. But first, I'd love to get your take on what about your approach or your aesthetic that you think kind of makes your brand stand out? And I know with brands, always an extension of the founder or the creator of the brand story. So would love to get into like what kind of makes make your life sweeter stand out as a whole? You know, that's a great question. And, and people ask me that all the time. What makes us different than everybody else? And to me, it's it's more than just something that tastes good. It's more than something that smells good. It really is about the relationship that we have with our clients. Every client that we have has either been a referral or has been somebody that found us on social media or it was word of mouth. We really focus on relationships. And I keep trying to emphasize this with millennials and Gen Zs because we grew up not really focusing on relationships. Text messaging is everything. Social media is everything. But unfortunately, a lot of those things are such important parts of building relationships with people. People buy from people they like. To me, I'm solid proof that when someone likes you and when someone enjoys working with you, they buy from you. And so for me, every single person that you just mentioned, whether it's Laura Mercier, it's Forbes or Facebook, I have a relationship with every single one of my clients there. I know how many kids they have. I know whether they're dating somebody. I know what their favorite type of popcorn is. It's all about the relationship and taking care of the people that take care of you. I love that. And I do think in retail specifically, we've been hearing for years all about that personal touch and and how it's so important and the ways that personal touch can be integrated or embedded into the brand experience. And, you know, as I was prepping for this conversation, I went to your social accounts and, and your website, of course, trying to find ways to see how you kind of bring these moments to life. And I think that's the one thing that I find so exciting about this space, whether it be through events or through pop-ups or installations. It's like, okay, there are these great Instagrammable moments and they're super fun and people love to take pictures with them and it's memorable and, and experiential, but there's like some greater meaning to it, right? It's some sort of like tipping point or support mechanism for that relationship. So I'd love your take because we've been hearing so much about the Instagrammable moment for a few years now, especially with the rise of like that ice cream museum. And in New York City, they had the Rosé Mansion, kind of like these little... And the color factory. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So what kind of makes the ideal Instagrammable moment in your world? And how does this kind of connect to brand design and brand experience in a way that's really meaningful? That's really interesting. When I was in HR, I loved my job and now I love my job. So I've always tried to figure out what is it that I'm still getting a high from that keeps me loving what I do. And I realized that in HR, I was actually the bilingual HR person at almost every company I worked at. I was the only one that also spoke Spanish. I studied Spanish in college and in high school. I have nobody in my family that speaks Spanish, but I always was very interested in learning. And I loved the feeling that when somebody came into my office and I fixed a problem for them, whether in English or Spanish, the look on their face. So bringing happiness to them, bringing joy to them, making them feel happy, making them feel like I solved a problem for them. 
I get that same feeling when people walk into my candy store or when I give them cotton candy at an event. I see their face light up with happiness. And I love that feeling. I love being able to make someone's life a little bit better or being memorable in someone's life. And I think when it comes to creating things that are Instagrammable, it's about creating that memory for people. It's more than just that photo that you're taking. It's what about this is different that I've never seen before. And Instagram has hired us to create those moments for them simply because we are memorable. We want to be something that somebody comes up, they walk up at a party and everybody gets the same crab cake at every party. It hasn't changed. I've been to many parties and they're always serving the same crab cake. But the most important thing is, are they going to take away that crab cake? No, they're going to take away that edible vapor bubble that was blown on top of a drink that had a passion fruit flavored vapor inside it that they saw this girl serving at the bar and thought it was the coolest thing ever. And they're going to post that on their social. So it's all about creating that atmosphere, that experience, that smell, that taste, something that hits all the senses and also brings some internal happiness to the person. I love that because I know in the retail world, we're always thinking about ways to add surprise and delight. But I know a lot of the retail executives listening right now is like, okay, well, how do we turn that into a purchase or how do we turn that into brand loyalty, especially now? So is it fair to say that when you invest upfront in understanding your customer and what drives them and what are they passionate about? What do they love that that kind of happens organically or like, how do you kind of connect the dots? I guess is kind of the question. hundred percent. There's such a big difference between I think that the kind of the older way is, is gift with purchase, right? Oh, I want to incentivize someone to buy something. So I'll give them a gift with purchase. But now you're looking at, okay, the millennials are the ones that we have to really target. And they're an experiential generation. They want to know that you care about them. They want to know that they're also supporting the small guy. They want to know that you're doing something to go above and beyond getting something for free. So a lot of my clients and the ones you've named specifically Laura Mercia, for example, a lot of them are hiring us. Neiman Marcus has hired us since I started to create that experience when you walk in that as a guest, you think, wow, they found this amazing experience for me. They must think I'm special. I'm going to shop here and I'm going to continue to shop here. So it's not just about the gift with purchase. It's more about making the customer feel like they're important. Yep. I love that. And I'm so thrilled for you because I know you recently opened your first boutique at Galleria Dallas. And I want to hear all about what inspired that. And then we'll kind of get into how you're kind of bringing these methods and the promise, you know, to life for, for your brand. So let's start. What inspired you to open your own doors? So... I always told every single client of mine, and you can literally ask Forbes, you can ask the Facebook team, you can ask everybody. I never want to open a retail store. I never want to do retail. The only place we ever did retail, we did two different things. Facebook has a pop-up shop in their Menlo Park location. It's a big shop in the middle of the campus. And they offered me a few times to come out there and create this like pop-up shop um, experience. They typically don't have people from out of San Francisco come out and do that, but they actually had us come out there. And it was such an honor. And we did that. It was an interesting experience for me to learn the retail space. The second time I did retail was Neiman Marcus has been has been a client of mine for eight years. And we would do parties for their top 200 guests at almost all 42 stores. They then came to me holiday of 2017 and said, hey, Yasmin, what if we put you on the shelf at a few of our stores? And I said, okay, let's try it. 
they came back to me with a bid for 42 stores within four weeks. They don't do that to anybody. They really like to test people out, but they'd worked with me for so long on the event side that they thought, okay, she'll be fine. Let's do this. And we committed to doing all 42 stores retail in the middle of having like Steve Forbes 70th birthday party in New York, where I was flying back and forth. I had Facebook's holiday party in New York. We had a lot of things all happening at the same time. And for me, it was really about how in the world am I going to manage doing this amazing retail opportunity and doing events. And that nearly destroyed my entire team. We were six women producing an entire shipment, truckloads of cotton candy and popcorn for Neiman Marcus. And it was, I mean, we were working till four or 5 a.m. in the morning trying to get trucks filled with cotton candy and popcorn. And every single person on my team said, if you do this again, we'll all quit. <laughs> like, collect. I'm like, I will quit. At least they're honest. I will, I mean, yeah, these big box retailers aren't made for small business. It just does not work. And I was very candid with Neiman's. And I said, I love you guys. Please don't take away the event side. But I cannot manage. Like, I did not enjoy it. It was not fun. And the real fun for me, then that was that point that we talked about earlier where I said, it's that feeling that I get from the customer when they see my product and I bring happiness to them that I was not getting right? So that energy from the customer I was not getting. So I would secret shop locations and go watch. And I'd watch a customer walk up to my product, look at it and put it back down. Walk and see another customer walk up, turn it around, read my story, put it back down. And I did not have that, what we called relationship with the customer that I talked about that was so important to me in the beginning. This was not an Instagrammable something. It was not something that, that they even understood the story of because they didn't know me. They didn't know my brand. They didn't know where we were and how we got to where we are. And I did not like it. So we decided not to continue with the retail space. And I said, I am never, ever, ever doing retail again. And then COVID happened. And even through COVID, I said, okay, guys, all of our events are getting canceled. I think we got booked in the last seven months. We've been booked for three events. We did the launch of the Ferrari. I did the launch of the Rolls Royce. And I had one other event with Neiman Marcus. And that has been it. Typically, by this time of the year, I've done over 100 to 200 events. And this has been really, really challenging. And I, one of the executives for the company that owns the Galleria Dallas came to me, and he's been a longtime client of mine from Neiman Marcus previously. And he said, yes, I mean, I'm going to give you a space. Just try it out. Like, it's a great space. I'll put Santa in front of you. I'll put the snow day next door to you. It is the biggest tree, indoor tree in the world is going up in the mall. Let me give you this opportunity. And I'm like, absolutely not. And he every day would come to me. I need you to do this. I need you to try this. And he knows retail. I mean, he is Mr. Retail. And I said, okay, well, he said, just put stuff on a shelf. And he knows that I would never just put stuff on a shelf. And so myself and four women literally scrubbed the floors with toothbrushes. We painted the walls. We created epoxy gummy bears to stick on the lights created multiple Instagrammable installations in the store and basically came up with an entire retail model in three and a half weeks, which is unheard of. But we needed to open. We can't make money if you're not open. So that was really, I mean, it's really just COVID that got us here and me thinking, okay, how in the world am I going to stay afloat if this lasts until June or July? I mean, all of my clients have told me, Give us, you just stay afloat. That's mean, just stay alive. And when this is over, you will be super busy. But I have to stay alive. Like I'm self-funded. I have no investors. All of my, my payroll is coming out of my personal savings account for my team. 
I have not let go or laid off any employees during the pandemic. I wanted to be one of very few businesses that did not furlough any employees, did not lay off any employees, and did not make any changes. In fact, I gave most of my employees more hours and more opportunity during the pandemic because I knew that everybody's going to remember what happened during the pandemic. Everybody's going to remember which companies took care of them, which employers took care of them, and which customers took care of them during this time. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that transitions to the expansion of your products because we, we talked a little bit about your cotton candy pops, but I mean, how did this side of your business evolve with, I guess it probably started with the event side of your business and then it kind of transitioned into the store and, and what's included from a product standpoint. So what was like the timeline for the expansion of your products and what does that kind of look like today? So every one of my clients would always say, Yasmin, what's new and different that you haven't done for anybody else? And they still say that to me. And it's like, I have to keep reinventing. I have to constantly reinvent. And I learned that very early on with every PR manager at Neiman Marcus, wanting to know what other PR managers were doing because they are a decentralized PR group. So everybody kind of competes with each other. And so I was realizing I constantly have to reinvent different things. And I had a client who is a very famous football player And we would spend cotton candy at his house and his wife would go into the mall and buy big, huge bags of popcorn. And I'm like, let me take that over for you. I'll do the cotton candy and I'll do the popcorn too. I've been tinkering around with this idea of popcorn. Let me try it. I did it at her baby shower and I had 3000 orders the next week. I didn't even have a name for the company. And I realized I need to constantly keep reinventing. I cannot just depend on fluff pop for everything. So then we launched hot poppin, which is our gourmet popcorn line. And I realized that that high-end clientele does not want to eat a huge tub of popcorn. They want to eat small little handfuls of popcorn, but have it be very, very indulgent. So I'm studying the customer, something that helped me. You know, a lot of companies go through market research and they, they do a test group and a focus group. My focus group was me being the waitress at every single event we did. And to this day, you can go back and ask any employee and still ask my employees today if you walk into my shop. I am the waitress. I love to listen to people and hear their feedback on things. At the store, it's a little bit different because everybody knows who I am now here in Dallas. But before, I mean, I would serve cotton candy and popcorn at the biggest parties. I would walk around. People would think I was a server. And they would tell me, oh my God, this is the best tasting popcorn I've ever had. Or this cotton candy tastes like soap because we would spend lychee cotton candy. And a lot of people are not familiar with the flavor of lychee. And I would know, okay, these people have never tried lychee before. Let's switch the flavor to pineapple. That's the only way you can learn your customer is being completely involved. And a lot of business owners, unfortunately, get so hung up on being the big guy and being the person that owns the store to do anything that is maybe beneath them. And so would never consider being a server. For me, I had somebody hand me a $20 bill yesterday and say, honey, here's a tip for you. And I thought to myself, this guy has no idea that I'm the owner of the store, but that's okay. And I went to the back and gave it to my team and said, guess what? Y'all just made 20 bucks. And I had somebody last week tell me, you should be happy. I just bought cotton candy from you. I'm keeping you employed. This guy spent $6 and 50 cents with me. And I don't care. It's fine. If you feel that you need to acknowledge the fact that you're better than me or that you're more important than me, that's fine. I'm going to still continue doing the job the way I do it. And that's how I learn the customer. And I learn what they want. A year later, I realized everybody loves big cotton candy. I'd see my clients on their Facebooks with 
pictures from Cowboys games and from the fair with a big poof of cotton candy. And I would joke with them and say, why are you cheating on me? They would always say, well, fluff pop is so fancy. I only eat that when I'm in a ballroom gown or in a black tie event or at Neiman Marcus. I wanted just the crap. And I said, okay, well, how can I turn that crap into something healthy? So we created Shigare, which Shigare is 90% air, 10% sugar. And it literally is cotton candy, but it's the healthier version. It's the only USDA certified organic cotton candy in over 40 flavors. It's organic, gluten-free, vegan, kosher, halal. There's no chemicals. There's no dyes in Shigare. And the whole goal is to create something that is that big poof of cotton candy that everybody's used to, but mine only has one tablespoon of sugar in it. So it's equivalent to 90% air, 10% sugar. That's why it's called sugar. So much good stuff there. And I love that you're not above doing the boots on the ground work, whether it be designing the store, getting it set up, but also serving your customers. And I think that's really important, especially in these times, because our behaviors, our mindsets are changing or are so different, right? Like we're kind of living in a completely different context in a lot of ways. And I guess my follow-up question for you is, how did this, if at all, inform how you designed the actual store experience? Because on one hand, you had all of these great experiences designing things for other brands, but you have your own brand and your own promise you're trying to fulfill and doing so in this new world, so to speak. So... How have you taken your your lessons and your insights to, to make this all a reality? I always tell people like when they walk in, they're like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. And I, in my head, I'm like, we have no clue what we are doing. Like we are just every day, we're like, what in the world are we doing? I don't even think it's hit us that we have a retail store at one of the biggest malls in Dallas because we've been just so boots on the ground running and working. Everything is as a learning process, right? So every time someone comes in and they ask for something, we think, okay, does this make sense from a business model? Why are they looking for this product? Does it make sense to pivot the business and sell this? So cupcakes, for example, right? Or chocolate chip cookies, even. Someone comes in, they see 50,000 desserts, but they still ask for something that you don't have. And then you kind of think, okay, well, does this make sense for me to add to my list of things that I have? When you start a business, the most important thing is to stay in your lane. Stay in your lane and do things that you're good at. I knew that we're good at doing Instagrammable moments for our clients. I also knew that we were good at creating an experience. So the retail space was very important, but I also knew that there is no way we would break even if we just put cotton candy on the shelf. Nobody knew us. The general public does not know us. We never wanted to be a general public brand ever. That's why when you go onto Yelp, for example, you'll only see a few reviews. Number one, Yelp deleted a lot of the good reviews, but Yelp doesn't know us. Our customers don't go to Yelp to find us. The general public does though, however. So we are learning how to manage the space and manage the world of the general public. I also knew that people are likely to buy from you if they have a chance to try something. However, I cannot be that free sample situation, especially with COVID. So we decided to come up with a concept that was a mixture of a retail space with a restaurant. Um, we serve, we have a variety of different options in the restaurant. Mainly we have a bar that it's a coffee bar, but it's like creme brulee cheesecake topped lattes. And I worked with the best roaster that I could find in Dallas, did a tasting with a bunch of roasters and found the best roaster that will make the best cup of coffee. Got an amazing machine and we are known right now as the best cup of coffee in Dallas. So it's coming up with things that are very different 
and creating moments for people, whether it's, I want the best cup of coffee, whether it's, I want the cutest photo, whether it's knowing that nobody really has anything to do right now. So let's come up with a 21 course dessert tasting menu called the dessert omakase, where they basically let me pick all 21 courses for them. And they have this evening of desserts with their friends or with their boyfriend or with their husband and coming up with something that people have never experienced before. I love that because there's that air of exclusivity. But then since you're involved in it, it's like, oh, like that's, it's something special. It's like from like the mastermind of this store and like we're getting the best of the best. So you're kind of ticking all the boxes from an experience standpoint. Right. And I'm the one that's also serving everybody. So that's the hard part. We got a review last week and someone said the owner served us halfway through. And then unfortunately, somebody else walked in and she had to serve somebody else. And I got a two-star rating because I switched tables, thinking that they were happy with me serving them. Number one, having an owner serve you for 10 courses and knowing that I'm giving somebody else 10 courses in my head, the perception was that they would be okay with it. And then I go to the table at the end. I've never had an experience where I've been served by the owner or the chef all courses, unless it was a Michelin star restaurant where the chef came out to talk to us. So it's just hard dealing with the general public and understanding what their expectations are. But from my standpoint, I'm just trying my best and I'm just one person. Right. And that's how you learn too. And I think that's been a big reality for all businesses. I mean, even the large scale retailers like the Neiman Marcuses of the world, it's like, what incremental changes can we make and how can we monitor and improve over time, depending on how our customer responds? Like you said, even things that we believe will be positive or we have the best intentions while rolling them out. Sometimes customer perception is different or it could be mixed. So I think if anything, it's a learning opportunity. But I do want to get into the role of digital and and how it kind of integrates into the store and fueling your brand in general. Because like I said earlier, I did go to your Instagram. I tried to get a feel for the aesthetic and what this store is like. And I just love how your Instagram account in particular is just like the perfect encapsulation of that experience. I mean, everything just looks so beautiful and whimsical and just like your approach to digital and content, like how do they kind of support, how does it support the store and brand as a whole? And is your goal for your digital experiences to drive traffic or build community? I mean, how do you kind of look at digital in your toolbox? So there's two different avenues for us specifically. Number one, we do everything internally. And I think that's important to hear. All of our marketing, all of our PR, all of our digital, all of our photography, all operations. I do not outsource all accounting, all website development. Every single thing that you see about my company is done in-house with four women. And I think that that speaks volumes for who we are as a company and how amazing my team is. Sometimes we have six. I have two part-timers that help us out, but we're four main women that are running this company. And I have learned through hiring outside agencies that no one will represent your brand as good as you do. And it's difficult because it's my baby. And when someone does a post that doesn't really reflect who we are as a company, I'd rather not have that post. And I know that sounds kind of ridiculous, but for me, that's just who I am. People, especially a lot of our followers, like they know me personally or they've experienced me personally. I don't ever want to show something that is not who we are. A lot of people actually follow me personally and then follow the company. So my personal Instagram typically is followed by, I don't have a a million followers, but 
the head of events for Forbes follows me, the head of events for Facebook follows me, the head of events for Laura Mercier follows me. I mean, and I'm interacting with them every day. The head of events for Away Luggage follows me. I mean, we just have all these amazing clients of mine that I interact with on my personal Instagram account and they love watching the journey. I actually had four people message me yesterday that said, you haven't posted on your story for five days. What's going on? And I'm like, I didn't even remember that I haven't posted for five days. I've been so busy with the store that people are realizing when we don't post, but they want to see the journey of the store. So they saw my entire team on the floor with our painting clothes on, scrubbing the floors with toothbrushes to clean the store. They've seen us paint the walls. They've seen us make the gummy bears. They've seen us create the menu. So they love being a part of the process. And people love that when someone works hard, they don't mind rewarding them for that situation. And I think that from my personal Instagram account, I think that we get more authentic followers from the standpoint of wanting to see the journey of the business. However, with the regular Make Your Life Sweeter account, we have more of the of the followers that want to see everything every once in a while. They don't want to see every single bit of every single thing every single day. So we've learned that part of it. They love seeing really good photography and really good pieces. So four years ago, I decided I was hiring on a photographer onto my team. Mainly that was because I realized that events, I was always relying on the event photographer to send me photos at the end of a party or my iPhone. And I was realizing that majority of those photographers weren't sending me photos and I was missing out on some great content. So I decided to hire a photographer right out of college and she went to college for photography and have her travel with me all over the world. And 60% of her job is photography, but the other 40% is traveling with me and helping with events, serving guests and doing whatever it takes to make sure that the event runs smoothly. And it's worked out perfectly. It's very difficult to get a photo with a celebrity, for example. I work with some really amazing celebrities and it's awkward for me to be like, hey, can we take a selfie? I just always found that really awkward. So I just never got photos with them. But it's very different having a random photographer that they don't really know works for me walk up and say, hey, can I get a picture of you two? And it works out really great. Very fascinating. And I have to say, one of the things that that keeps bubbling up organically in our conversation is the fact that you're a small team, that you're very tight knit, but then you also all do the work, right? Everyone has the ideas, but they also help make them a reality. And I think that's a a really important thing that comes to life as you're talking about your business and the types of experiences that you create. You're all mentally and emotionally invested in it. And I think that really shines true in our conversation today. And I really want to commend you for that, but also some of the broader approaches and priorities that you have as a female entrepreneur, as a business owner. And I know a big part of your business is establishing partnerships with other female entrepreneurs. And, you know, over the past year, we've been hearing so much about supporting small and emerging businesses, supporting diverse businesses, women-run businesses. So, I mean, as your business has evolved and scaled, how has this need or desire to connect with other female entrepreneurs driven you? And what kind of companies are you trying to partner with right now? That's a great question. It is really important to me to help those that are trying and work really, really hard to get to where they want to be. I can't say I had anybody along the way that was 
hey, I just want to help you out to help you out. It was a very challenging world in 2013 starting a business because there were so many. And I mean, in Dallas especially, there's so many entrepreneurs that we all started in 2013 together. So we were all in the hustle together trying to figure out what we can do. And so none of us were, in my opinion, really established to be able to be that mentor and help out in those ways. And so for me, I really love being able to support other small businesses, especially women-owned small businesses. However, my rule is that you do have to go through some mentorship with me. I have to be able to grow and grow you and be able to grow your business as well. And like, let me help you get there. So if you're open to that feedback and open to growing. And so that's been really great. We have two amazing entrepreneurs that are are very much highlighted in my business in the new store. We have creating the Instagrammable space was really important to me. And I wanted it to, I wanted to have a wall that looked like it was raining gummy bears with an umbrella and clouds. And I went to an artist, her name is Tina No. Her Instagram is Tina No Designs. And she actually created this entire installation for us with electrical tape. Phenomenal artist. I mean, she literally in 45 minutes created an entire umbrella with a gummy bear on the side, like a gummy bear made out of tape art in 45 minutes. I mean, it's remarkable to watch. And she also created the Audrey Hepburn photo where Audrey Hepburn's blowing a bubblegum bubble, also out of electrical tape that's featured in our store and it's for sale. So it's people that really are just so amazingly talented. Kutsia Makbul, she owns Cute Blooms. She's a paper florist and she creates paper flower walls typically. And I convinced her to start creating little paper flower flower arrangements during COVID so we could ship flowers out to somebody and them never go bad and something that someone can always keep on their desk, beautiful arrangements. And I said, I want the store to look like I'm walking through Paris or I'm walking through London in the middle of the summer with flowers adorned all the outside of our space. The mall has very strict rules, as you probably know, talking to many other retail experts that Retail locations have very strict rules on what they do allow and what they don't allow. They don't allow any adornment on the outside of a space. I convinced them that this was going to be something that's going to be Instagram worthy. And they gave me a chance and they said, okay, we'll consider it. And we built this amazing flower installation on the front of our store. Hundreds of people just walk up to the store to take photos every day. And those are the moments that we do have to branch out from a retail perspective and say, okay, things were done this way 20 years ago. They may not have made sense, but they make sense now because we have to look at who that target customer is. Going back to what you said earlier, yes, I do have a small team. Yes, we are four women. One thing that I always remembered when I was in corporate America is I never minded working hard if I saw my boss and my boss's boss working harder than me. I never cared. Like it never bothered me. I never felt resentful. I never felt like I was doing more than them. And I kind of kept that with me all these years. I've had very difficult bosses. I worked for basically the owners of one of the largest hotel companies in the world. And they were, they were very, uh, very smart, very intelligent, but, but it was a very demanding position, but I always saw them working harder than me. They were always up later at night working than I was. And they were, they were always putting in extra, no matter what the situation was. I never felt like, I never felt like I had to work less or that I was working too hard because somebody else was working less than me. I always felt like I was part of a team. And I try to do that to my team. I try to make sure that they see that I'm working really, really hard and they, they know that I will never ask them to do something that I can't do myself. 
That's great. So many great takeaways there. And I know we're coming up at the end of our time together, but before we close things out, I do want to zoom out a little bit because you have such experience, not just building your own business, creating this great store experience, but also helping others create these great experiences. We'd love to get your broader take on where you think the future of experiential retail is headed because it was such a big trend. It was such a big topic with so much promise. Everyone was throwing these events. Everyone was looking for ways to, you know, build that community in their stores. But now we, of course, are are navigating some new realities around safety in stores, you know, whether consumers will feel at ease or, or comfortable participating in events or anything that's a bit more like you need to spend a lot of time in here where a lot of people just want to go in and out sometimes. So where do you think this space is headed, I guess, over the next year? And do you have any tips or recommendations for executives that still think there's promise in this area of retail and want to figure out a way to embrace it in a way that's relevant for them? I think it totally depends on who their target market is. I think that if your customers are relationship-driven, for example, Neiman Marcus has always been a relationship-driven company. That's just who they are. You know your salesperson. You feel comfortable shopping with them. They text you. You have this relationship. Of course, events are such a cornerstone of who they are as a company. If your company is really seeing sales increase on the online front and you're really not seeing too much where people are coming in store, maybe there's something different that you guys can do that's a little bit more on the social media front, but it doesn't mean that someone has to come into the store. For example, I have a client right now that loves our omakase idea. They love the dessert tasting, but they realize that they do not want to bring everybody into our store. They want us to ship our dessert tasting menu to them and ship it to all their customers and do a virtual dessert tasting where everybody gets on a call together and we open up different boxes. So it's course one, course two, course three, all the way through. And all of them are individually wrapped. And each one is an experience because you're going to get to take your own social media. You don't have to leave your home, but you also get that feeling of they care. Whether or not you want to participate, that's fine. You were going to spend that same amount of money having this big party at your store. Why not send something from a gifting perspective that if they don't enjoy it, their kids will enjoy it, right? So somebody in their household will enjoy it or or their husband or their boyfriend or whoever that is, is still going to enjoy this experience, but it's the thought that goes behind it. So I would never say, let's just kill all the all the parties. Let's stop them because they don't make sense. I really think you have to look into your business. Look at who your target audience is. I know people are itching to go back to parties. I've seen it. We've tried it with a few clients. They want to be out, but it depends on that target market. The target market, my target market of clientele want to be out. They want to be out with their friends. They want to be shopping. They want to have a good time. And now more than ever, I mean, I spoke to the Facebook team last week and they said, get ready for 2021. Everybody's itching to come back and we will have party after party after party. So I think it really depends on who that demographic is. Yeah, no, I totally think that's a fair way to assess it. I just think everyone's a bit all over the place. They're trying to figure out where their priorities lie. And I think just like getting back to basics, asking those foundational questions about their business and their target customer is a really important one. So for you, I mean, 
where do your priorities lie right now? I mean, are there any trends that you're most excited about? Anything that you plan to move forward with? Again, I know everyone's kind of navigating the circumstances and new developments as they come, but would love to hear anything new that may be coming down the pike for Make Your Life Sweeter. Yeah, I think as an entrepreneur, you constantly have to pivot. And I think that I really have no clue what is going to happen. You know, this pop-up was only supposed to be there until the end of December. And now with the vaccine being released, we're trying to figure out, okay, does that mean that we have six months to a year more of this? Or what does that mean? Can my business survive another six months to a year? And I know a lot of small businesses are in that same world. And so we're all trying to navigate. One thing that was very, very helpful for me, and I tried to share this with as many entrepreneurs as I could, back in March, when we all thought that it was only going to be two or three months of downtime, and we'd get back up to running as a country, the first week or second week of March, I actually got an email from the Facebook event team They sent me a personal email saying, we love you. We want to let you know that we have a mandate from Mark Zuckerberg canceling events until June of 2021. That was probably one of the most helpful emails I probably would have ever gotten in my career because if I was on the same realm as everybody else thinking it was going to end by the summer, I wouldn't have been able to prepare my team and myself for what was to come. And we definitely would not still be in business at this time. Getting that email was definitely heartbreaking. I actually got Facebook as a client all over the world. I met with the whole team in January and it was a very promising year for us. But knowing that they would have nothing until June of 2021 was helpful because I could then refocus everything onto redoing our entire website, looking at social media, creating new platforms and new gifting ideas. And we worked throughout the whole pandemic on how we could be better. And I think we will constantly keep reinventing and listening to customers the next two weeks is going to be very telling for us to understand, should we come back for Valentine's Day? Should we do a 30-course pink menu where every single thing is pink that comes out for Valentine's Day or do a Galentine's Day for girls and a Valentine's Day date night experience for guys? What should we do that people have never seen before or some sort of celebratory situation? Or should we just keep the space for parties so people could have private parties that are socially distanced? What does that mean for us as a business? I also do HR consulting and entrepreneurial consulting on the side virtually, and I'm able to get clients from all over the world for that. And so that has been definitely helpful. And I think we have to constantly keep reinventing as entrepreneurs. What can we do? What do we have the ability to do? And how can we make the world a little bit better with what we have to offer? Love it. Super exciting. This has been so fun, Yasmin. I love hearing stories, not just from entrepreneurs and business founders and leaders, but also people who are genuinely passionate about what they do. I think it's so evident in the conversations that I have with them that that passion is there and there are always like new fun ideas and recommendations. So really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with me today and share your story. Thank you. I really appreciate you. You know, we we love doing these. Anytime we can talk to teach and help people grow, that is my favorite thing in the world to do. My goal is to make millions and give it all away. I have a nonprofit called Random Acts of Sweetness where we go to third world countries and build schools and try to create an infrastructure for kids that are in need. And I love being able to help in any way I can. So would love for your listeners to reach out to me anytime, ask questions. I'm I'm very, very involved with everybody that follows us on Instagram. I respond to everything. So 
we'd love to be able to interact with your viewers and listeners as well. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely take you up on that offer and we'll make sure all the details are in our show notes so people can learn more. We obviously have a lot of brand executives listening right now. So would love to facilitate those connections and conversations because even though things are a little tough right now, um, and I know for some that can't really be understated, but I think the collaborations, the conversations that have been taking place, the new idea creation, I mean, there's so many, so many opportunities and, and some positivity to come out of that. So appreciate you opening that line of communication. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And as always, everyone out there, we appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this conversation. I hope you got a lot out of it because I certainly did. Again, if you're looking for any feedback or have some follow-up questions for Yasmin, um, drop us a line on Twitter at our touch points. We'd love to hear from you. And again, we'll make sure that those follow-up links and resources are in our show notes. And we hope you join us for another conversation like this. We always love sitting down with entrepreneurs, brand executives to talk this new and exciting world of retail, all of the challenges, the opportunities, the ideas, and we encourage you to subscribe so you can get updated episodes as soon as they're available. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or frankly, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks everyone. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.